Hey, everybody. James Tiley, Johnny Fry. We're bringing out guest Jason Myers. He's a lead architect over at Audit Chain. This guy, this guy is no joke. You know what I mean? Hey, Johnny, Jason is going to be very disappointed in you that you have never had ZD. In fact, I want to hear you say uh, ZD right now. Look, I've never heard of ZD. I've heard of Zebedee, but ZD. J- Jason, do you know what ZD is? I have to admit I don't. Oh, oh, yeah, you do. The Italian Sicilian. Your mom never made big ZD? Oh, ZD, yes. Come on. Of course. Well, as you can probably tell, my beautiful princess makes big ZD every morning. (laughs) We've got a couple of New Yorkers on the line today. Jason, welcome to the show. And good to have you on board. I'm going to have to try and keep some sort of order because you and James are going to be giving me a super hard time. So, uh, which is fine. Don't mind that at all. But you've written an interesting article. I know. If I can paraphrase, and, and, and I don't want to be too punchy about this on the on the airways, but essentially you've got a big question mark over the, the function and the role of auditors um, globally. And actually, do we need them or are they just going to disappear in the next few years because of technology? And you've written an article dressed in disguise, how accounting rules hide the flaws of fractional reserve banking. Well, that's a big mouthful. What led you to write the article, apart from me asking you, obviously, but what do you mean by the flaws in fractional reserve banking? Why, why, should, why should the listeners care? Well, first of all, they, they keep their money in banks, most of them, right? Which means that you are lending your money to an unsecured creditor who may fail. You're not getting a return for it, right? I so, depositing my cash in the bank and they, they look after it and it's all hunky-dory. Is it hunky-dory? Not if you're a Silicon Valley bank, it's not. Well, look, you're you're opening up a big Pandora's box, right? And as someone who's been in blockchain for a while, I've I was also in a, you know I'm an ex banker. I took Alexion Pharmaceuticals public. I took Metarex public. I took you know a lot of companies public. My old boss at that time at that investment bank is now an investor in our project, and. I came up with, it's more than a theory, really. If you look at it from a very practical perspective, in the Coinbase of the Genesis block of the Bitcoin blockchain, there's an inscription, which is the headline to an article released on the same day in London, Chancellor on Brink of Second Bailout for Banks, which became known as the Great Protest against the centralized fractional reserve banking system, right? My question to everybody is, why was the chance on the brink of a second bailout for banks? And the answer is this. If you give the keys to the candy store to a bunch of children, what are they going to do? They're going to munch away. That's correct. But there were four adults in the room to watch them. Why didn't they say anything? They knew everything. They had an obligation to file disagreements with their regulators between them and their clients, right? Right. So how many disagreements were filed by auditors with regulators in the periods leading up to the financial crisis? Tell me. I don't have to tell you. You and I are still paying for it because they said nothing. Zero. Bagel. Zip. Nada. Right? People forget. 
And governments know that. See, governments don't think that you're stupid. They know it. So how do the accounting rules obscure and cover up the flaws of the fractional reserve banking system? Well, you saw it most recently with Silicon Valley Bank and Silvergate, right? One of those accounting rules is the classification that allows a, the treatment of securities as held to maturity. If you classify a security, specifically in this case, a bond as held to maturity, then it doesn't matter what the price is. It's on your books at the price that you paid for it, the amortized cost, right? Meanwhile, if rates go up, when rates went up, the value of those bonds that they bought at a mean average of around one and a half to 2% rates being close to four on the 10 year, the decline in value is what accountants and auditors call material, right? Some of those bonds went down 40%, which means 10 billion in bonds on your balance sheet that you paid for with depositors cash, with depositors cash is now worth 40% less. Is it disclosed? No, no, right? So if you read a balance sheet of a bank, those bonds, if classified as held to maturity, are, are valued at their cost. Meanwhile, there are unrealized losses to which there are no guarantees it will recover. So if we had to dissolve the bank today at the hammer, it means that those financial statements written in accordance to generally accepted accounting principles and IFRS, right? International Financial Reporting Standards, if you're outside the United States, are lying to you. So you have the government and standard setters and regulators who all get together and create these standards and make these rules, right? And you have the banks that take advantage of them. And between the banks, the government, standard setters and regulators, they've devised a way to commit legalized fraud. And that, my friend, is why the chancellor will always be on the brink every five to 10 years of a bailout for banks. It is not a viable business model, the fractional reserve banking system. And they need accounting rules. Hold on, we're going to cut that. And they need Shouldn't the dog agrees you, Jason. And they um, need a My dog always has an opinion. And they need accounting rules to cover that up so that you, the naive one who doesn't really read financial statements, because you actually believe that the government is going to take care of you. Okay. And this is what the general pop ordinary people don't really understand, but they're beginning to. And Bitcoin is teaching people or they're learning about how money works because of Bitcoin, right? They're learning now about accounting rules. They don't fully understand it, but they just caught a whiff of the fact that these accounting rules don't seem to be appropriate because they're covering up what's really wrong with a bank when things don't go their way in the economy, right? Which puts Basel into question and it puts government into question and it puts into question all these things that people now suspect are just not right. And trust in centralized fractional reserve banking is at an all-time low. At the same time, governments around the world 
are suffering from sheer unadulterated panic because the, for, for the first time in history, there is a peer-to-peer electronic cash system that re- eliminates the need for a regulated, centralized intermediary. And that's something, it's not Bitcoin they're scared of. It's the fact that you are all learning how money works and you're learning that you don't need a financial intermediary. anymore, And that is what's terrifying governance, right? So, so you saying there's these? It's it's legal what the banks are doing, but it's it's almost immoral at the same time because that the banks are being able to say, look, yes, this bond. If I keep this bond for ten years, it will be worth back to what I paid for it. But in the meanwhile, it's gone down thirty, forty percent. But I don't need to tell anyone that. And the auditors come in and check their books and say, yeah, well, you've lost you've lost ten billion. But Let's not worry about that because in 10 years time, it'll all be okay. Oh, that's That's not even, it's not even a conscious thought. If it's classified as held to maturity, there's no question. You have properly recorded the value of those bonds on your books. That's nuts. Right? So they issue an opinion two weeks, two weeks before the bank fails. So the question is, who's at fault? If auditors are following audit procedures under US GAAP in this case, and the bank fails two weeks later, is it their fault? I would say it's not. I would say it's the government. It's regulators and standard setters and governments. It's their fault. They need to prop up a currency, which they are having a hard time of hiding the flaws in, right? Because humans get together and decide how much money they should print this month, right? There's no fixed supply of US of any fiat currency, right? All fiat currencies go to zero. Every single one of them go to zero. So this is the money that I hold in my bank. And this is, and all the listeners, what we're saying is potentially we're holding worthless bits of paper. It's a bit like the Weimar Republic when people walk around with literally wheelbarrow loads of cash. Or if you go to some like Zimbabwe, I can remember going to Zimbabwe and it was 20 Zim dollars the pound. And the last time I looked, it was 20 million or something crazy. Right. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. All fiat currencies, if you look back a thousand years, all fiat currencies go to zero. In fact, since 1913, the U.S. dollar has declined over 90%. Okay, Jason, one thing I was, I was absolutely gobsmacked by, you put, in your, you put in your article, and if anyone wants to get a copy of this article, then you just got to find Jason... Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S on LinkedIn, and you'll you'll see see there, and he can get a copy to you that first appeared in Digital Buys. But you put in here a figure saying that in just in 2021, the financial statements for Deutsche Bank, there were 427 inconsistencies. And that's amazing the German bank. What sort of inconsistency? They, they spelt things wrong? They didn't put a full stop in there? It's funny you say that because some of them are exactly that. They're trivial little mistakes. Others are there should have been a disclosure and there wasn't. Others are they failed to apply the accounting rules correctly, which affected other line items on the financial statements. And it indicates a serious deficiency in internal controls risk controls, and disclosure controls, right? These are the termites that ceaselessly eat away at the foundation of 
the enterprise that one day brings the whole structure down, right? And if they don't fix that stuff and reorganize what they believe to be our sound or what a third party believes to be our sound internal controls, risk controls and, and disclosure controls, then one day, you know, that's going to come home to roost, right? And it came home to roost for Silvergate, came home to roost for Silicon Valley Bank. The regulators put Signature Bank into conservatorship. It wasn't even declared insolvent or caught insolvent. They wanted to put that one to sleep before it actually did, right? So it's very controversial. And then you had Credit Suisse. You had the marriage arranged by the government between Credit Suisse and UBS. How many other marriages are being arranged right now? Yeah, well, what happened with Credit Suisse was, was awful because they, you know, they they basically paid out the, uh, the bonds should have taken the hit, but the bondholders were actually able to get some of their money back. And, you know, you think, well, Ooh, hold on one second. Who cares about the bondholders? It's the depositors. Well, you're right. Having a bank account in line. Risky. Well, as we've said several times, a ba- opening a bank account is not a high risk operation. You, it's you, not supposed to be, but yeah, it is. It's turned into that, hasn't it? That's because correct. Because of fractional banking, because they're taking your $100 and then they're lending out, what, typically $80, $90? Well, no, sorry. $1, no, $1. they're taking $100 of your money and they're lending out 870 something dollars. Then if some of that money goes doesn't come back because the loans go wrong, then you as the depositor potentially are at risk. But if it goes right, oh, guess what? The fat bankers make a fortune. Well, let me give you a piece of contrast in another part of the world. Under Sharia banking laws, right, in Arab states, a Sharia compliant bank has no debt and they pay no interest. If you're a depositor, when you deposit your money, you actually get a share of the profits that they make when they purchase a durable good and then resell it to a buyer over an installment period, right? right? Not a loan. They're buying it and reselling it and they book the spread. Yep. It's a profit on the sale of goods. There's cost of goods sold, right? Yep. And then there is the, the price they receive for the goods that are sold, right? What's the shares in the profit? The depositors share in the profits, yes. Western banks don't want you to know that. No way. They don't want you to know that, no. They're terrorists right away, right? Then the politics comes out, right? There's two sides, Republican and Democrat, Labor, Tory, whatever you want to call it, right? And so they distract you. Don't look at this, which is a more sound business model. Look at the other thing, right? Look at this. It's political now, where, you know, it's not. It's financial, right? And the fractional reserve banking system is eating away at the purchasing power of the average individual, all individuals that keep money in banks and that hold fiat currency, right? The thing is, the smarter people, the 1%, they know how to outrun inflation, monetary debasement on an after-tax basis, right? So if you have your money in stocks over a longer period of time, 70% of the outperformance in stocks is attributable to a degradation of or a debasement of fiat currencies. The rest is just good management that allows them to to outrun inflation on an after-tax, taxes and inflation on an an after-tax basis, right? Well, but uh, James, I'm, I'm mindful of time. 
any any thoughts as an ex uh, well you weren't really a banker but you were working on wall street for a number of years well my my very first gig was by an unnamed company out in a little town called garden city new york and we'll leave it at that but yeah when i moved over to bloomberg merrill lynch bank of america it was all technology finance and fintech but let's not talk about me <laughs> i'm so tempted to talk in my normal non-radio accent and I have to remind myself to be professional. I want to say this. I listen to everything he's talking about. I get it. I'm the regular guy, right? I'm Ronnie Dangerfield in that movie, Easy Money. I got the regular guy look going. I went, I saw your example of what an analysis looks like on audit chain, right? It's stupid simple, if you ask me. Now, biased, yes, I have experience in this world. But I really feel like this is available for regular people to just easily access. I, how do I say it in a non-New York way? You're calling everybody out by, with transparency. You're not doing anything wrong. You're, you're revealing to the world what's not right or what's not perfect. And my example there is that while you guys were talking, I went and I pulled up one of my favorite banks. Just why not, right? It's... You don't have to know a lot about technology or finance to use this tool that you developed. Because the very first thing that stuck out in my head, or stuck out to my eyes, rather, was a calculation of, you called it, what'd you call it? An inconsistency, right? I got info, I got warnings, I'm like, eh, not so much. Inconsistency. And I'm, I'm the tinfoil hat kind of guy. I like the controversy. This particular bank that I like has an inconsistency on your report of $54 million in liabilities to stockholders' equity. And I mean, this took me 15 seconds in reality. And, my, and I went, ooh, why? Now, now I'm driven to look deeper. Why does my, this is not my bank, by the way, but this particular bank that I like to talk about, what? How I rely on you, you ask me to balance my checkbook. You charge me a $35 fee if I don't. Am I wrong? Yes. You have a, oh, more than that. More right. than that. You charge me $35. A month in bank fees, plus foreign exchange fees, blah, blah, blah. You, I can't put, you can't put money in. That money will melt immediately the second you deposit that money. That's how I feel. So how does this bank get away with being off by $54,000,000, on your internal liabilities and stockholders' equity? That's the subject of the inconsistency. There are many more than that. If you aggregate the value that is reported as being inconsistent, it's, it's well into the billions. Well into I, the billions, I see that right? easily. But so, this wasn't available before? Uh, not without a good CFA and a really good technical accountant performing manual labor by tearing apart those financial statements, reconstituting the data, and looking at where the inconsistencies lie based upon manual work, which, you know, it doesn't take 30 seconds. It takes a hell of a lot longer than that, right? But when sure. it, look, it, this gets worse, right? 
The world's investment managers are relying on all of this financial data filed with regulators in order to make investment decisions with your money, some of whom are the very banks themselves that contain inconsistencies in their reporting, right? So when you have an allocation of capital, investment capital on your behalf based upon flawed data, well, then what happens, right? So now it becomes quantum entanglement times, you know, quantum entanglement squared when it comes to a corrosion of investment theory based upon flawed data. Companies are supposed to communicate accurately, right? But they don't use the word accurate. They use the word consistent and fairly presented, right? And to put things in their proper contrast, if I send one Bitcoin to you, our transaction is included in a block with everyone else's transactions for that block. Do the miners say that it presents fairly in all material respects? No, it's proven those balances. Every wallet balance, every balance, every account, every transaction, the balances are proven all the way back to Genesis, right? Right. That's, That's not why we important. apply the permissionless, trustless. It's it's I call it when I deal with copyrights and royalties for music because we're in blockchain. We're the only radio network in blockchain. And our proof of concept and our argument is you never need to audit us. It's all laid out permanently in the chain. That's right. Now, there's one thing because somebody asked, I think you raised the question is, do we even need auditors? Johnny, I think you, you yeah, raised yeah. that. Absolutely. The, the answer is right now, regulators require a minimum of one, an independent third party to render an opinion of to whether or not the financial statements as prepared by the management present fairly in all material respects. That's the wording they use, right? But that's not how a blockchain works. A blockchain has thousands of miners, validators, auditors, if you will right? That's how a blockchain works. And they all come to consensus. So what you're actually getting is absolute assurance that my Bitcoin made it to you and the balance and the state of the chain at the end of a block, the confirmation of a block is unquestionable, unquestionable. That's not the case with the world's business and financial information as tentatively, conditionally, and fractionally validated by four validators for auditors. Well, and forgive me, I but I think I just got excited over the tool itself. Tool's awesome. <laughs> James, uh, Jason, we're going to have to call it a wrap here, but a funny feeling we'll get you back on the show very shortly. I would thoroughly recommend, and I can say this because Jason hasn't paid me, thoroughly recommend you to look at Audit Chain, track down Jason. If any of you'd like a copy of his article, then please feel free to contact James Tiley at Cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry at Team Blockchain. And we'll be back on the airways next week with another, with another show of Digital Bytes. But meanwhile, thank you, Jason. And James, as ever, thank you for everything you do and getting things organized. Thanks for having me, guys.